This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor Osea with skincare sets for Mother's Day in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM. Barbie was the biggest movie of last year. We saw the memes, we heard the songs, and it was 2023's highest grossing film. And it recently racked up eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. So today we thought it would be the perfect time to revisit our conversation about Barbie. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. Today in this encore episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we are revisiting our conversation about Barbie. Joining us today is our fellow co-host, Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Hi, Barbie Steven. Hi, Barbie Linda. Hi, Barbie Aisha. <laughs> and also with us is film critic and culture journalist, Badatri D. Chaudhry. Hey, Badatri. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. <laughs> Hi, Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> So the idea for a live-action Barbie movie has been bouncing around for more than a decade now, and the dolls themselves have been part of the pop cultural landscape since the late 1950s. So Barbie has been a long time coming, but in many ways, it feels like a film that could only exist today. It's an extremely self-aware vision of Barbie, complete with commentaries on the patriarchy and the unreasonable expectations placed on women in modern society. The film features many Barbies and many Kens, But the central conflict arises when the most stereotypically blonde and perky Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, finds herself facing an existential crisis. She may live in her dream house in Barbie land, but she thinks about death. Her heels suddenly touch the ground. She finds the first traces of cellulite, and she even sheds tears. She heads off in search of her human owner, taking a journey from Barbie land to Los Angeles. She's joined by one of many Kens, played with great enthusiasm by Ryan Gosling. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beat you off right now, Ken. I'll beat you off with you any day, Ken. Hold my ice cream, Ken. (laughs) When Barbie and Ken arrive in the human world, they find a very different society than the Barbie-centric one they're used to. Barbie soon meets a sullen tween played by Ariana Greenblatt, as well as her mom played by America Ferreira. Barbie was directed by Greta Gerwig, who also directed Lady Bird and Little Women, and it was written by Gerwig and her partner Noah Baumbach. Barbie is streaming on Max and available to rent or buy on VOD. Badatri D. Chaudhry, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Barbie? Oof, I think it's a lot. (laughs) I know your first question was, does it live up to the hype? Yes, it does. Did I have a lot of fun? Yes, I did. But it's still like, it doesn't sit very well, but in a very fun way. How do you mean doesn't sit very well? I don't know. And like, I'd love to talk uh, more about this with you guys. Like the first thing I thought when I came out of the theater was, is it camp? And that for me as a culture <laughs> journalist and film critic is the most horrific question because if it's camp and you don't get it, that's like the worst thing. You might as well stop writing about films. That's a great point. Yeah. So I kept asking myself, is it camp? And then I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, well, it's camp is a bad defense of a film you don't really like. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's camp, if the camp is lost on me, but I do think it's trying to do a lot of things, trying to say a lot of things, and I'm not sure if, you know, the people in the film are the right people to say it. 
having said that, I had so much fun. Like I grew up in the 90s. I had these dolls. So they do manage to make the ride a lot of fun. Okay. How about you, Homsey? I had so much fun at this movie. I think they executed it with enormous panache in terms of the production design. I really love the performances. I think Margot Robbie is surprisingly poignant in this movie, Mm -hmm. which you kind of will understand better, I think, once you've seen it. And Ryan Gosling is hilarious in this. I really like Ryan Gosling in dramatic roles, but when I see Ryan Gosling be goofy funny, I always think I just want to watch Ryan Gosling be goofy funny forever. But, you know, like Badatri, I feel conflicted about everything it's trying to say. There is a lot of textual critique of patriarchy and critique of capitalism and critique of Mattel. LOL. <laughs> and it's like, what does it mean to have these textual critiques when all the extra textual stuff, including how the movie was made, how the movie is being marketed, who the movie is going to benefit All of that stuff is all taking place firmly within all of these systems. Because, for example, when you're doing critique of Mattel and its very male leadership, that very male leadership wouldn't have signed off on this movie if they thought it was going to hurt them. So I feel really conflicted between the kind of textual and extra textual stuff that's going on. But at the same time, I loved looking at this movie. I think the performances, like I said, are great. I had a wonderful time and I think it's super funny. Aisha Harris, uh, what did you think of Barbie? I mean, there is, of course, that tension between art and commerce that is always going to exist and has really become something that has been laid bare even more explicitly over the last few years as we've seen the franchisification of everything. There are ways and examples of this where it can really, really, really work. See the Lego movie. The difference between this and the Lego movie is that As far as I can remember, Lego did not have as nearly as much baggage (laughs) as Barbie does Mm -hmm. and Barbie comes with. And so under that tension between art and commerce, you also have this sort of added layer tension between the sharp political critique of the system while functioning explicitly as a product of that system. I really had a lot of fun with this. And I think that it's really interesting to kind of conjure and think about, can we, you know, use the master's tools to dismantle the house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that possible? And what I think puts it over the top for me or makes it work even when it doesn't always work for me or work overall Mm. are the performances is the fact that Greta Gerwig for me has been able to take all of these sort of familiar stories in her previous directorial movies and bring something new and interesting to them. Something like Little Women, which is very different kind of product from Barbie, Mm -hmm. but is also a beloved property. She was able to sort of make that fresh and make that new. And I think she's doing something similar here, even if the tension is a little bit more fraught and doesn't quite go down as easily. You know, I said a while ago that that was part of what made me sort of hopeful that Greta Gerwig was making this, that hopeful Mm. that this could be good, actually. And I do think it's good, actually, with a lot of buts and a lot of caveats. Yeah. And I guess one of my reactions to that is like, what is the alternative? How would you get around the critiques that we've kind of leveled in this conversation so far? Like, you're not going to make a Barbie movie without Mattel's sign-off. You're not going to make a big-budget studio movie without a big-budget studio's sign-off. Like, capitalism has its tendrils in every facet of major movie making. I mean, the alternative is other movies. Yes. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I also think alternative is that you don't put in so much money into one film. 
It's just sure. mind-boggling for me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just interesting. There's a scene in this movie that really stands out. There's a monologue in this film uh. in which a character kind of lays out the really complex web of pressures on women in society. And, and you're expected to do this, but not this. And this, but not this. And you have to push for things, but not push too hard. And it's, it's kind of a little bit of a being a woman 101. Yes, very It's much. pretty blunt. Many would argue it's 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 pretty necessary to put it in this film. It's also kind of a meta commentary on what this movie's trying to do, right? This movie is trying to do so, so much and balance these very, very, very contradictory impulses. They want to comment on the patriarchy and society and feminism while still being a big mainstream movie. It's interesting to me that this film at one point kind of stops and almost lays out the enormous task that it has given itself. Yeah, but I think if you are a woman, you are a woman and you don't have the option of deciding, like, I'm just not going to be a woman because the kind of idea of that is too complicated. Whereas you can decide I'm not going to make a Barbie movie. You can mm -hmm. decide we're not going to have a Barbie movie. And so I think the stakes are a little bit different. But I do think that the film sees it that way. The film is setting up a parallel between what it's like to try to be a woman and what it's like to try to be a Barbie movie. I, I kind of agree with you that the film maybe sees that parallel. I'm not sure I see that parallel. Yeah. One of the things I think is interesting is that this film to me is a really good example of how many different crafts are involved in yeah. making a film really vital and wonderful because the production design of this is tremendous. The supporting performances and thus the casting are tremendous. The entire look of the film is really fun and interesting and plays like a very unrealistic, like, for example, there's a moment when Ryan Gosling winds up for various reasons being thrown up into the air. It's not supposed to look real. It's supposed to look like he's a doll being thrown in the air. The way that they've done that, the way that they've incorporated these kind of very unreal animation type of styles you know, music supervision. Oh, boy, get me started. I think it's lovely to have a film come out that works really well for me, that really puts the spotlight on not just the writing and not just the acting, although I think both are really strong, but every kind of element of this film, you can see so many crafts really popping in this movie. And that was something I appreciated a lot. I was not expecting to hear the Indigo Girls pop up in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Perfectly deployed. Look, if, if you've listened to me long enough, if you've known me long enough, you know how I feel about franchises and how, to Linda's point, yes, maybe we just don't make this movie. But at the same time, I can understand why we feel the need to sort of reclaim or attempt to reimagine mm -hmm. these very emblematic figures of the past to put them into this present moment. It is kind of important for maybe those sort of emblematic figures to evolve in certain ways. And yes, it's tricky when that's happening within that company that still stands to profit. And it's in a way, there are many moments in this film that feel 
really a lot like Mattel burnishing its image and very clearly wanting to reclaim the sort of loss that it's had in the last few years to other companies, whether it's Mm -hmm. the Bratz dolls. Mm -hmm. I can see how that tension plays out. But I also think, you know, it does make it interesting as a critic and as a consumer to sort of grapple with these things because – I do think maybe there is a positive side to trying to grapple with those things, even when it's still in service of a corporation in some ways. I don't know. It's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm glad you bring that up, Aisha, because what I was thinking is I'm thinking this film is self-aware. I'm hoping this film is self-aware. But what if it's not? I mean, I would think it is because I it's, think it's very self-aware. It's Greta Gerwig. I mean, yes. she's earned my trust. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's literally the only thread I'm hanging on. Like the monologue that you talk off, it's very climactic. But it's also so trite. Like we've all seen forwards or like some kind of inspirational Instagram square with some of those words. (laughs) You can't be this, you can't be that, you can be this, you can't be Mm -hmm. that. But we've all seen some version of that and it kind of gets reduced to being this programmatic algorithm, Uh which I don't know, it just becomes very trite for me. That first time is huge, big, but then it keeps happening over and over and over again. And that's when you're like, okay, so is it just a punchline? Is it just a buzzword sort of a thing? It's so complicated. The best thing about this movie is when it is weird. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things about this movie that are just like weird and kind of out there. Kate McKinnon is in it, for goodness sake. (laughs) Come into my weird house. Hi, I'm Weird Barbie. I am in the splits. I have a funky haircut and I smell like basement. Oh, my God. I had a weird Barbie. Yeah, you did. Also, just this much seen clip of Margot Robbie saying, do you guys ever think about dying? Hmm. There are these moments in the film that are really odd Mm -hmm. and kind of unsettling. And those are the places where I appreciate it the most. And the, the journey of Ryan Gosling's Ken, that character is so freaking weird. And I don't think (laughs) it follows necessarily from the cultural idea of Ken as much as the kind of Margot Robbie Barbie does. Mm -hmm. This Ken feels a little bit to me more like an invention of these filmmakers. Well, that's because Ken, as the movie says, Ken is just like a blank canvas completely. Just Ken. (laughs) He's a totally blank canvas. Exactly. Kind of nobody cares. So I want to make clear, I really like this movie. If somebody said, should I go see it? I would be like, yes, "Yes, I think you should go see it. I think it is, like I said, exquisitely crafted. It just raises all these interesting questions. That's all. It's interesting because I've thought a lot, as I think we all have, about the hype cycles around this movie and how much it has felt like this massive cultural steamroller Hmm. where it's all we're hearing about. But I think one of the reasons it's become that massive steamroller is that there has been this very organic excitement around this film. That has only led the studio to lean in harder. Like, oh, we've got something Hmm. here. People are really excited about this. But I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that a lot of the enthusiasm around this film is organic. People love Greta Gerwig. Man, Lady Bird, great movie. Little Women, great movie. I'm excited about whatever Greta Gerwig does. So when Greta Gerwig takes on this intellectual property and promises to wrangle with it, that's really exciting to me. I was organically excited about this film. But then as soon as like the marketing agency that put on the screening was like, wear pink to the screening. I was like, no way. (laughs) You can't make me wear pink. Let's not lose sight of the fact that 
this film is being pitted against Oppenheimer. And Christopher <laughs> Nolan is like his own brand, doesn't need no marketing, you know. And the root of what you're saying, Stephen, is what Barbie means to Americans is so different in different countries. It's so different from what it means to Indians. Like I played with the doll, but it was a class thing. We were importing it from mm. the US, so it's expensive. Yeah. So, you know, a certain class of people, of girls had the doll. And I also think a lot of people in India and other countries think it's a kid's film. Yeah. Mm. And if you're listening, it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not like an R-rated comedy, but it's definitely not a kid's film either, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It gets dark. It gets very dark. Other than the fact that there are some references to to what is underneath the pants of all these dolls. <laughs> There's nothing in here that I think is inappropriate for kids. I just think kids aren't going to care about most yeah. of this because what the movie really wants to get into is all this stuff about, you know, feminism and existential crises <laughs> and, you know, the meaning of life and what it means to exist in a world that doesn't care about you. I mean, I think it's just, you know, anybody who's playing with a Barbie right now, I think is going to find this movie boring. I don't know. I think it will appeal to tweens. Isn't that kind of what Toy Story 1 and 2 are about? I kept coming back to those movies because there's a lot of that in this movie you of make like a good point. rediscovering oh, maybe I'm meant for something more than just this. Yeah. No, you're right. But I guess my other overarching question was just like, is the connection between adults now and their Barbies as strong as this movie thinks it is? I wonder yeah, how I much of this is coming from people having memories of playing with their dolls versus just like, it's really easy to cosplay this in pink. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there there is a moment towards the end where it kind of wants to tug at your heartstrings again in a very Toy Story kind of way. I was just like, maybe it's just me. I played with Barbies, but I don't have that same affinity for it as I think people might have to other franchises or other toys. But maybe I'm completely misreading this. I think the film sees people as either you played with Barbies, in which case you're kind of a Barbie obsessive, (laughs) or you didn't play with Barbies. I'm like you, Aisha. I had Barbies. I had a Barbie dream house. My sister had the Barbie RV. I had Olympic Barbie. I never had a Ken. Oh, I had a Ken. <laughs> and, and certainly there are Barbie obsessives. But like, I think you're right that there are a lot of people who are not as attached to their childhood memories of Barbie specifically as maybe the movie expects. Yeah, I mean, I think that the movie doesn't necessarily expect you to be a Barbie obsessive. They expect a lot of people to have gone through an awakening around Barbie and what Barbie means. Maybe they played with Barbie, but they have some sort of complicated relationship with Barbie. I did not play with Barbie at all. I have an older sister. She only had Barbies so she could dye their hair and and put safety pins through their noses. Which is a phenomenon that the movie does address. Which is a phenomenon that the movie does acknowledge. So that's sort of my relationship to it. And I was still really excited about this film, even though I don't come into it with a big background of loving or caring about these dolls. As far as whether kids will enjoy it, I think it's worth remembering, like all the things that we've said about how brightly rendered this film is, how fun the performances are. The musical numbers. The choreography. The musical numbers, the choreography. All right, I take it back. I take it back. Take your child. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) That energy pervades it in a way where even if you're not necessarily (laughs) ready for all its messaging around the patriarchy, there's still a lot of fun to be had here. 
there's a lot of fun to be had fun at the cost of what you know it is a cycle and i think i'm happy this uh, film brings that out at least I agree we have more to say about Barbie. I still want to talk about some of the songs. And even some of the songs are spoilers. And Alan. And Alan, yes. And we Alan. have to talk about Alan. <laughs> Michael Sarah's character. <laughs> so after the break, we are going to be getting into our Barbie spoiler section of this conversation and dive a little deeper with more Barbie-adjacent content. We will be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor CarMax. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. Don't settle. Find love at first drive. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. From the campaigns to the conventions, from now through Election Day and beyond, the NPR Politics Podcast has you covered. As Joe Biden and Donald Trump square off again, we bring you the latest news from the trail and dive deep into each candidate's goals for a second term. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast every weekday. Welcome back. We are now going to get into some spoilers from the Barbie movie. So this is your spoiler warning. When Barbie and Ken leave Barbie land and arrive in the human world, they find a very different society than the Barbie-centric one they're used to. So I guess the place I'd like to start is in the depiction of Ryan Gosling's Ken. It's a running gag that Ken himself is a blank slate and an add-on. He doesn't have much of a backstory of his own. His job, as the movie points out to great comedic effect, is, and I quote, beach. You know surfer's not even my job. I know. And it is not lifeguard, which is a common misconception. Very common. Yeah, because actually my job, it's just beach. So when he and Barbie travel to the human world, he gets his first ever glimpse of the patriarchy and he likes what he sees. This leads us to his hostile takeover of Barbie land. So let's start there and talk about what the heck is going on with Ken, our weird washboard abbed incel king. (laughs) Badatri, kick us off with your thoughts. I mean, what can I say? He really loves horses. Can you blame him? (laughs) But I mean, he's actually such, you know, in modern day parlance, such a soft boy. Like, you know, he just wants to be loved. And which is why he's like doing all these very disgusting and wrong things. And 
Again, like, you know, we, we talked about how we feel complicated in our feelings about this film. And I, I wonder, it's very fun. And Ryan Gosling has said in an interview that he was born to play Ken. And I agree 100%. <laughs> yes. Uh, but again, like, what part of his narrative arc is the film actually glorifying? Definitely not the incel king part of it. That part is, like, so ridiculed that it's funny. But again, in the end of it, you know, what I liked was most films have the women going on this journey of self-discovery but here it's like you know Ken needs to go on that which is somewhat appreciated but then I'm also like where is the retribution for all this havoc and really bad things that he brought into this very pink very plastic beautiful world yeah you know I agree with Badatri I think it's very funny and I definitely think the portrayal of Ken and really all the Kens when they go into this, we are going to be in charge now. Because, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you really see that they live in service to all the Barbies, essentially. And when Ken goes and discovers what it's like for men to be in charge of everything, he says, well, this is great. And he comes back and he imports it. I do think the portrayal of how those guys act when they really sort of allow themselves to wallow in their dudeosity is extremely funny. Mm -hmm. This maybe is where we can talk about the fact that at one point they all serenade their Barbies with Matchbox yeah. 20's push. We just might feel good. I wanna push you around. Well, I will. Well, I will. I wanna push you down. Well, I will. A great song. <laughs> A great song. I love this song. They play the guitar at them. Yeah, yeah they play the guitar at them, as they say. That definitely got me howling. You know, it's a very sweet portrayal by Gosling. Like, sweet dummy is kind of a, a classic, funny way that guys like this can sometimes act. James Marsden has done similar things. Yeah. But I do wonder, like... These guys get pretty hateful in the sense that they kind of want to take everything away and run the government and kick these Barbies out of their houses. He just hasn't come to terms with the fact that Barbie doesn't love him. And if she patiently explains to him that she doesn't love him, then he sort of comes around and he's like, OK. And, you know, I have a, a certain unease about whether that's really what guys who act like this actually need. Is it that they're sad and they need a journey of self-discovery? You know, the ultimate answer turns out to be like distract them long enough to vote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you think about it too hard, it's very unsatisfying. But... If you don't think about it too hard, it's actually very funny and there are some really fun jokes. I admire Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach for throwing in a joke about the Snyder Cut. Like, <laughs> you're definitely poking the bear. Yeah. I mean, look, can I posit a theory that perhaps part of the, I don't know if it's the problem with the movie or just something that I found a little weird to think about it, is the fact that Ken is kind of a slightly more interesting character than Barbie in this movie, perhaps mm. unintentionally so. Yes, obviously, the whole joke is that he's, you know, inconsequential, basically. Even if Ken's arc at the end feels a little bit old-fashioned and kind of basic in a way, I do think that he still has a little bit more to play with as a character because his whole deal is just, like, patriarchy. And then... Barbie's whole deal is way more complicated because she has to deal with Mattel and this idea of what she's supposed to be versus what mm. she 
actually has been received as. And the whole Mattel thing is very like, oh, these are my corporate overlords and I'm going to poke fun at them, but I'm not going to poke too hard or enough that like they're not going to approve of this. Whereas Ken is just patriarchy. And that's something you can more easily Mm -hmm. rib. The fact that he gets an entire dream ballet. (laughs) (laughs) The dream ballet, which is very Bob Fosse, Gene Kelly, I should set up. So towards the end of the film, all the Kens have turned on each other because all the Barbies have pitted them against each other. And so there's this whole beach battle scene where different Kens are going after different Kens. It's very funny. And then like that scene turns into within it a dream ballet sequence where all the Kens are dancing together and Ryan Gosling's Ken is singing about being I'm just Ken. And to me, like, not that Barbie doesn't have her own moments, but a whole dream ballet is a very, in any sort of musical or movie, it's supposed to be the heart of the movie. It's like Mm -hmm. the moment where everything kind of changes and you see this sort of shift from the first part of the show or the movie to the last part. And so I don't know. Do we think that his arc was a little bit more interesting? I do. The effect that I had wasn't necessarily thinking that Ken was more interesting, but thinking that Ken... They do more weird stuff with Ken and are, I think, a little bit more experimental in the way they present Ken in a way that does give you some higher highs. But I do think that Ken also is the factor that causes this movie to drag the most when it drags. Mm. Now, I'm not necessarily the first person who's like, yes, there's a dream ballet. (laughs) Um, But like the dream ballet for me was like, get back to the movie. This is weird. Get back to the movie. You know what? Every <laughs> dream ballet in every movie ever has been that for some people. Yeah, yeah no, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's there true. are people where, like, that's the singing in the rain they want to get out yeah. of the dream ballet. Yeah. There are people where in Oklahoma they want to get out of the dream ballet. Yeah, very common. There are people who are like, I stopped watching American in Paris before the super famous part. You know? <laughs> Gosling gets to play a broader and more comedic kind of sympathetic character, Robbie is playing a more poignant sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. And I was really wondering where they were going to leave her. Was she going to become like self-aware Barbie? And then when was she ever going to be able to be happy? And because when you get to the end of the film, she really winds up concluding, I don't want this life as perfect Barbie, which, you know, might seem predictable in a way because, you know, the person's always going to, I want to be a real boy or whatever. But the toys in Toy Story live happily as toys. There's not necessarily a guarantee you can't live happily as a toy. But I think the decision that they ultimately have her make about kind of, I want to try out the life of a human and heaven knows that's been done. But I think that... She really acts the heck out of the end of this movie, I think, despite yeah, yeah. the fact that this is these are beats I've seen before. There is a mm. moment fairly deep into this movie where she has discovered malaise, really. She's kind of discovered <sighs> sadness. And it's almost like her discovery of sadness really foundationally changes who she is. And there is a moment where I think Margot Robbie snaps out of the pink Barbie-ness And you really suddenly feel like you are seeing this terrific actor play a really sensitive scene where she's playing a person. 
And mm-hmm. it's almost like Barbie discovers less that she wants to be a person and more that she has become a person and has to now deal with the outcomes of being a person. Yeah. A couple of those scenes with Robbie kind of in the weird Barbie house with Kate McKinnon. Mm-hmm. God bless Kate McKinnon, man. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, yes. I could watch Kate McKinnon do essentially this performance in 400 movies and yes. be totally happy. Yeah, she can keep doing splits all her life and I'll be very happy. She's yeah. wonderful in this. Yep. Some of those scenes where Barbie is kind of going through that crisis in the weird Barbie house with the other Barbies and with the America Ferrera character and her daughter, I actually think a bunch of that is quite moving. So counterpoint to my last point. <laughs> Aisha versus Aisha. <laughs> so, what if... Barbie is like the sly critique of white cis hetero progressivism in a post Black Lives Matter, post Me Too, post Love is Love world. In this essay, I will no. <laughs> so to your point, Linda, I think one of the things that I sort of picked up on is that there are moments, especially those scenes with Kate McKinnon, where Barbie has this moment where she's talking about, oh, I'm stereotypical Barbie. I'm the first thing that you think of like when you think of Barbie. And to me, that was kind of a really interesting point because it kind of goes counter to what the movie is trying to promote in a way, Mm. which is that everyone can be Barbie, (laughs) regardless of their size, regardless of their race, whatever. But then you have stereotypical Barbie. The movie is focused on stereotypical Barbie and it's kind of calling out, yeah, we have all these things, but I'm still the main Barbie. There's also a moment where she (laughs) she has an option Weird Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon, gives her two options to like go and decide what she's going to do. She's going to go to the real world and like confront her feelings. And she's holding up, you know, Birkenstocks. And then the other one is a heel. And Margaret Robbie's like, no, I don't I don't want to. I don't want to know. I want to be kind of oblivious to all of this. And I saw it as sort of a sly critique of, you know, Mm. kind of. I think that's definitely there. Yeah. Which is like that. She has been perfect. She has been the stereotype. But now she's realizing that actually I maybe want to do something with my life and not rest on these feelings. So I don't know. I, As much as I said earlier, Ken maybe is the more interesting one. I do think that her journey and her arc, while also kind of basic, does still have an undertone of a little bit of subversiveness that I think you have to like look more closely to find. It's not quite as obvious, but I think it's there. I'm just going to push back on your... I, I want to see that essay, Aisha, first. <laughs> yes. But... This film is so binary. It's 2023 and it's so pink and blue in terms of like everything, in terms of the marketing around it. Again, the blue of Oppenheimer and the pink of Barbie. It's like, you know, everything around it is so based on the gender binary and it does not move. That's always there. Boys do this, girls do this. And that made me a little uncomfortable. So I will... Chill on that a little bit. But again, to your point, Aisha, like, you know, this film does and many people will see the faults in it and many people will see the prizes in it. But it does diversity exactly the way Mattel does diversity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, except for the fact that may I say there is a wonderful plus size actress in this movie named Sharon Rooney, who people may know from My Mad Pat Diary and other things, who plays one of the Barbies and They have made the Barbie body types moderately more inclusive, but I do not think that they have made them that inclusive. So that kind of irritated me a little bit. That is not reality. And I wish it were. I agree with you. And then again, like, and this is both the frustration and the delight of this film 
it makes you feel like it's constantly criticizing itself, but you as a viewer want more of it, but then they cut you short and be like, no, this is it. Even the, you know, the Mattel CEO says this, oh, this will sell, let's do this. Mm. And that's exactly how, you know, the enterprise has looked at diversity. Well, the other thing I will say is that the fact that at the end, Barbie talks to Cannon, now he's okay with not being she, she's honest with him I guess she's no longer quote unquote stringing him along which in itself is like really this is okay it's right uh, on yeah. the line uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah it's yeah. right on the line but then it's like okay none of these Barbies seem interested in the Ken so can we like yeah. maybe push this a little bit further and say maybe actually they're not into men at all like yeah exactly <laughs> you know yeah. or like if you're a doctor or if you're a president if you're a lawyer if you're all these things I'd like to see you be a doctor and not just and and that's the problem with the doll, right? Well, the doctor does fix Ken after he <laughs> wipes out on the beach. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> but your point is yes, yes, makes sense. Yeah. We are kind of brushing up against an interesting point about this movie and about what this movie could have been had they opted to go this way and opted to be a little less binary. When I mentioned that we were going to record a spoiler special to my partner Katie, who was very excited about this film and hasn't yet seen it, she was like Please tell me Barbie is queer. Please tell me they explore that. Sorry, Katie. Yeah. And they really don't. <laughs> no. Yeah. They really don't. And well, and for, cool. I think, as much queer buy-in as there is to this movie going into it, there's a lot of unexplored territory. And obviously, the odds of a sequel are not zero. <laughs> there's a lot more terrain left to explore, right? Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the thing that I took away from this is that the relationship that is kind of posited by Mattel between the Kens and the Barbies is that the Kens are the Barbies' boyfriends. And I think what the Barbies are kind of saying is that they're not really concerned about their romantic lives at all. Mm-hmm. And I think, as Aisha said, I think it's sort of like they're not into the Kens at all. They're not into men at all. They're not into each other at all romantically. And I think one of the things that the film is sort of positing is like, maybe the romantic part of it really only works, you know, if you buy a Barbie and you have a Barbie and you play with a Barbie, maybe it really does only work if you think of Ken as kind of an unnecessary (laughs) add-on or like an outfit. Like Ken is the equivalent of an outfit. Today I want to play with Barbie dressed up like an Olympic ice skater. Shout out to the Barbie that I had. And tomorrow I want to play with Barbie with a camper van and a boyfriend. (laughs) And it's sort of like the Barbies are interested in themselves and their own Mm. lives as Barbies. The Kens are accessories. They are. And at the end, Mm -hmm. they're going back to living as accessories. And I do want to say, I think, the other really charming performance that I think we haven't talked about at all is Michael Sarah as Alan, oh, who was oh, a real Alan. doll, who was kind of <laughs> Ken's friend. And they show a bunch of the Barbies at the end of the movie. They mm. show a bunch of what I think are all real Barbies and real Barbie marketing mm. at the end of the movie. And the stuff for Alan basically says he fits into all Ken's clothes, which I think is the <laughs> funniest little thing like buy this doll he could wear the other doll's clothes and i did enjoy all the little shout outs to various different barbie iterations that have been discontinued including the magic earring ken speaking of (laughs) speaking of kind of queer text and subtext magic earring ken and Sugar Daddy Ken. Sugar, Sugar Daddy, Daddy Ken. Yes. Plus the one, I was really going into this thinking, I hope they talk about the Skipper doll where when you put her arm over her head, her bust grows. 
And they did. And that was a <laughs> real did. doll. And I remember yeah. that marketing. My soul was crying out for a Rosie O'Donnell cameo because <laughs> there is a Rosie O'Donnell Barbie in the late 90s. Oh, but they, they, wow. they did pass on the opportunity to include Rosie for whatever reason. I'm glad you mentioned Michael Sarah as Alan because one thing that I really took away from this film that I don't usually take away from live action movies is, boy, you really could do a series of very funny, very wonderful Pixar-style shorts Mm. with some of the ancillary characters in this film, the way they do with Pixar movies. You could do a seven-minute Alan episode, like a freestanding short film, and I would watch the absolute hell out of it. And it's one of the benefits that you get from this movie being as wonderfully well cast as it is. There are so many funny ancillary characters, in many cases played by very, very big-name, talented people that I wanted to see more of that don't necessarily need more airtime in Barbie, but that I would love to see little short films of. No, I would like to see four hours of the Ken movie starring Kingsley Benadier, not seven minutes. Kingsley Benadier, who plays Malcolm X in One Night in Miami and is so good in it, is just like one of the Kens here. Didn't he also play Obama? Yeah. And he's also about to play Bob Marley. So he's basically played all the iconic figures of the 20th century. (laughs) And Ken. Yes. And Ken, yeah. He's our cultural forefather, yes. <laughs> yes. And also what I love about Ellen is, and which is where I thought Greta Gerwig was being Greta Gerwig, is that nuance in friendship, in allyship, that like, I have your back no matter what happens, Francis, how friendship. And I saw a peak of that in Alan, and I really, I mean, he's really one of my favorite characters. Love Alan. Justice for Alan. Alan. <laughs> I think he's super funny in this, absolutely in the pocket in terms of a Michael Sarah performance. The weird thing about this movie is that, yes, it's a toy movie. Yes, it's a Mattel movie. Yes, it's been so heavily marketed that you honestly feel like your postal carrier is going to come to the door in an all pink uniform and be like, here to deliver the Barbie mail, because it just doesn't feel like you can get away from it. But if that weren't true, this is a live action comedy with this kind of sweet ending I do really like the ending where she meets up with Rhea Perlman playing the inventor of the Barbie doll. I like how that plays out. I think it's really sweet. I really like the montage at the end where she kind of is introduced to how life really works. It all comes down, I think, to how you feel about the moment when Margot Robbie as Barbie is talking about how you feel like you're not pretty enough And Helen Mirren, as the narrator, comes (laughs) on and says a note to the filmmakers, Margot Robbie is not the person to cast if you want to make this point. And it is the movie doing a thing and also, Mm -hmm. like, hanging a sign on the thing that they're doing, saying that they're doing it. And it is like, Mm -hmm. is that better? I don't know if it's better. I laughed. Do you know what that scene is? That scene is Wayne and Garth. Uh, talking about product placements and holding up a bag of Doritos in Wayne's World. <laughs> I didn't mind that. I laughed. <laughs> oh, I did too. I did too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you're right. Your mileage may vary about that. To me, that was one of the less egregious, like, signposting while patting yourself on the back yeah. for calling yeah, something out. But, I agree yeah. with Aisha. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. Are you sure? I could go on. 
<laughs> I can do. I wanna push you around. <laughs> yes, shout out to Ryan Gosling's Matchbox Twenty impression, which is very oh, good. He's got a great voice. He does. Great voice. Yeah. I wanted to stand up and applaud. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> we want to know what you think about Barbie. Find us at Facebook.com/slash/PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Linda Holmes, Aisha Harris, Badatri D. Chaudhry. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This episode was produced by Mike Katzoff and Anna Isaacs and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all later this week. I wanna push you around when I will, when I will. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. If you're a business owner, you know these sounds mean sales. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. Whether you're fulfilling orders from your home office or warehouse, Stamps.com helps you stress less about mailing and shipping and spend more time doing what you love most. Listening to ASMR. I mean, growing your business. But as you grow, so does the need for efficiency. Stamps.com simplifies your shipping and mailing process. Import orders from wherever you sell online. Find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times. Instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers. And buy shipping and mailing supplies when you run low. Save time and money on mailing and shipping. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale.